Father, again, we are ever so thankful and gracious that you have allowed us to see one more day. We're thankful, Lord God, that uh, your word has the ability to penetrate uh, the hard exterior of our hearts and the hardness uh, that even uh, which has fossilized our souls. So we come to you today, Lord God, as people who want to hear from heaven. So help us to move all the weeds and all those things that are in the way of us getting to you and hearing your word. God, may your word penetrate deeply our spirits, Lord. And continue to change us every single day, every moment from such sinfulness, Lord God, into the likeness of Christ Jesus. We love you today, Lord God, and may you be honored as we receive your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When a disciple of Jesus thinks about the importance of the gospel, the importance of the gospel to the world, we oftentimes become grieved as we encounter people who are not receptive to our message. We want everybody to get it, don't we? We want everybody to know Jesus Christ. But yet, when people reject our message, friends and our family members, when they say, no, I don't want to hear that stuff, it, it grieves us. I mean, how many times have we over and over again in different ways presented uh, the wonderfulness of this message that we know uh, can save their souls? Our friends, our family, they turn that deaf ear, that deaf ear because, uh, again, uh, they've heard it all before and they don't want to go there again. But we must not be discouraged with what we have been called to do because it is of great importance. Today we're going to look at Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10, uh, there's a story about Cornelius and Peter. But at the heart of this story is a message to us. It is a message to us about moving the gospel message from our cliques to the nations. Right? And, and all of us know what cliques are, right? Our little huddles that we get in, and, and we don't want anybody else to be a part of our little huddles. So uh, those little huddles between me and you and no more, us four, we don't want anyone else to be a part of our huddle, our cliques. So we have a tendency to bear down when, uh, when it's time to move out or when others want to move in. This is what this message is about moving the gospel from our cliques 
to the nations. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God uh, come in and say to him, Cornelius, Probably like most, most of us, he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. A people must be receptive to God's directives. Here in this section here we see a man named Cornelius, uh, someone who seeks God. He wants God desperately, but he doesn't know Jesus. How is it uh, someone who can seek God but don't know Jesus? How is that possible? Undoubtedly, this is one of those instances where an individual seems to be connected with God in a way, but does not know Jesus Christ. How many of us know people who are in the same states? Oh yes, I know God. And then we ask them the question, but do you know Jesus? And they say, well, no, I'm not sure if I need to know Jesus. How do we minister to a person like that? How do we speak to them this message? And at this point, when we try to, in our lives, try to interject uh, the message of Jesus Christ, we oftentimes hear people say, well, all roads lead to God, or there are many paths leading, leading up to this mountain of the Lord. So uh, some in this world believe that God is like standing on top of a mountain. And on top of this mountain, uh, on all sides of the mountain, there's many, many roads. And you pick a road and eventually you'll end up at God's place. First, I'd like to say that oftentimes when people use uh, that explanation, uh, they may attempt to silence your message. Secondly, it may be a ploy often used to promote a false notion of tolerance which tolerates all faith except belief in Jesus Christ. Why? Because with Jesus we know uh, he says that he is the way and the truth and the life and no one can come to the Father, what? But by him, except by or through him. So they don't like that Jesus makes this exclusive claim, and for some, they try to extract that out of Scripture. So the Bible tells us a few important things about Cornelius. Number one, we read very clearly, it says that uh, Cornelius was a centurion. What does that mean? Uh, this particular centurion, he was a leader. 
Typically a centurion, he had charge over 80 soldiers. 80 soldiers at his disposal. And if you lived during this time, there really weren't many jobs that you could select from. So the preferred occupation during this time was to be a soldier. Little boy, what are you going to be when you grow up? I want to be a soldier. Young man, what do you want to be? I want to be a soldier. Why? Because they knew at the end of the rainbow there was money. There was money for most of them. Did you realize that uh, these Italian soldiers, these Roman soldiers, that when they signed up for the army, the military, that their terms were for 20 years. It wasn't like ours. What is ours? What is it? Four years? Is that right? Four years. No, it's not four years. They signed up for 20 years. And then once you signed out, there was only one way out. It was two ways out. Either you made it all the way through to the end of 20 years, or you died. Guess what? 50% of everyone who signed up to become a Roman soldier died before their term expired. 50%. But if you made it to the end, your rewards were extremely great if you were a Roman soldier. But if you were not a Roman soldier, you didn't get any rewards. Well, the only thing that you could possibly get if you were a non-Roman soldier was at the end of your 20 years, guess what you get? If you made it alive at the end of 20 years, they said, we'll call you a Roman citizen. But if you were of the Italian sort, you would get all types of monies and houses and all this other stuff. So Cornelius was a very generous person, very generous to the people. And this was very unusual because understand that during this time, Cornelius, he was not from Israel. He was living in Israel, but that was not his home. He was from Italy. So uh, he came and he made residence as he uh, uh, conducted his leadership among the 80 soldiers. The important thing to see with Cornelius is that he, at the end of the day, he was diligently seeking God. He was a Roman soldier on duty in the land of Palestine. He accepted the God of the Jews. This is uh, pretty spectacular. Spectacular because he had come from Rome where there were many gods. Where, as a matter of fact, we already know that the emperor himself had pronounced himself Lord of all things, Lord of lords, and you had to bow down to the emperor. It's very interesting that uh, there are some people who say they're looking for the Lord, but when they are presented with the truth, they ignore the Lord altogether. Scripture records the fact uh, that Cornelius was also a praying man. During that time of prayer, Cornelius had an encounter with God through a vision in which an angel was dispatched to deliver a message. That message told him to send a message to the apostle Peter and ask him to come to his house. If an angel tells Cornelius to send for Peter, we can surmise what that reason was because we know that Peter was an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
So in our minds, if someone is looking for Peter, if someone is, is looking for Paul, if someone is looking for John, come to my house. In our minds, we can kind of figure out what was going on. Figure this out because as a disciple of Jesus, Peter had one goal in life and one goal only, to proclaim the message of the gospel. It's very interesting. Maybe this is the reason why, why we are where we are today. Maybe this is why we have the jobs we have or the friends that we have for one reason only, and that is to proclaim the message of the gospel. So the Lord has supernaturally positioned us as his ambassadors to proclaim the message of the gospel to people who are truly seeking him. So uh, this must be a significant point of understanding for us. There are well-meaning people in this world that are worshiping God, and they really do want to know the truth. They are worshiping God, but they don't know Jesus Christ. But we do understand that there are few things that attempt to hinder the progress of the gospel uh, to them as well as to the rest of the world. One of the greatest antagonists uh, for the gospel is the devil who actively works on people's minds to prevent uh, the work of Jesus in other folks' hearts. This is manifested in laws that restrict uh, his disciples from witnessing uh, to the banning of Christian materials uh, in public places. One of the ways that this also happened was by removing prayer from the classroom. I had one pastor tell me one time, I'm kind of glad they removed prayer out of, out of the classroom. I said, why? He says, well, you see, uh, uh, if we had Christian prayer in the classroom, uh, that means that one day someone else is going to come up and say, well, uh, we need to have Muslim prayer in the classroom. So I am glad there is no Christian prayer in the classroom. But I simply believe this, that if they never took uh, prayer out of the school in the first place, it wouldn't be an issue in the second place. We also see uh, some of the hindrances of the gospel in other religious traditions that call for violence uh, towards anyone that doesn't believe the way they do. Then there's the media who portrays Christians as anything other than a good disciple of Jesus Christ. But I would like for us to see one more thing that can hinder the progress of the gospel, and it is a prejudicial thinking. Disciples must be willing to part, leave behind, and stop prejudicial thinking if we want to expect the gospel to move forward. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And if you remember last week's message, you know what time the sixth hour is, right? And the sixth hour is what time? Try it again. The sixth hour of the day is what time? Everybody knows it's noon. Amen. Verse 10. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, uh, basically saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. 
But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Like Cornelius, the same God who uh, connected with him had now connected with Peter. You see this going on? So, 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 so God was connecting with Cornelius while he was in prayer, right? And now uh, Peter was in prayer, and now this same God, our Lord, he's now connecting with Peter. We see two instances in which God communicated with individuals through prayer in order to accomplish what? A common goal. This is why prayer plays such an important role in what we do in our everyday and our spiritual lives with absolutely no division. There should be no division between the two. But God calls us to prayer, and when he calls us to prayer, we must pray. Through prayer, the Lord brings alignment with what others need and also what we want to do. So while we're just praying in obedience, someone else has a deep need in their life to which we may be an answer to their prayer. Prayer is not just a futile exercise, a futile religious activity. It is a time in which we can connect with the Lord and expect him to direct our lives. The key we all must see is that in both instances with Cornelius and Peter, that they pray to the Lord. You see that? Not just prayed to the Lord, but they also listened to the Lord. They prayed to the Lord and they listened to the Lord. When we talk with the Lord, it is not just a one-way street. It is not just a time in which we say, God, gimme, 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 gimme. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need for you to fix this. But uh, a prayer is also a time for us to stop and listen to hear. Maybe God wants to tell us something. Amen? So on the one hand, uh, Cornelius knew nothing of Jesus, while Peter had experienced firsthand uh, the power and the ministry of him. When people have their hearts truly set on finding the Lord, uh, they will find, uh, they will and truly find him, but they must respond to him without the baggage of unregenerate conditioning from the world. This means that when God speaks, it is imperative and important that we respond to him based on who he is and not on information that has been fed to us through traditions and useless philosophies and opinions. Even though Peter was now on fire for the Lord, even though Peter was willing to do what needed to be done, we know this. We recall how, how Peter had abandoned the Lord. We remember how Peter had stood there ready to defend the Lord in many instances. And now Jesus calls him to something greater. In this vision, Peter had come face to face as to whether or not to eat animals that were unclean. We remember that eating unclean animals was prohibited by the law because some of those practices, uh, that, those were the practices of some idol worshipers, number one. And number two, some of those things were just unhealthy. Right? You just couldn't eat you know, animals that was eating anything. 
during the time of the Maccabees, about 175 B.C. The Maccabees, if you don't know who they are, they were also the Jews. Uh, the Maccabees, they lived in this intertestamental period uh, from the end or the silence of the Old Testament uh, to uh, the proclamation of the New Testament. Uh, so in the middle, uh, one group of Jews that existed were the Maccabees, 175 B.C. These individuals were purportedly to be willing to die instead of eating unclean or non-kosher foods. Someone were to tell him uh, or to tell her, you need to eat unclean animals, they would say, kill me first! Kill me first! And you remember what non-kosher foods are, right? Things like ham and bacon, baby back ribs, shrimp, lobster, Cheeseburgers. Did you know that a cheeseburger is not kosher? It's not kosher. A cheeseburger is not kosher. And then not only those, those things, but they were not allowed to eat camels or horses. I know you probably say amen to that anyway. So Peter, he refused to eat any of the foods presented to him because of his background as a Jew. Look again at verse 13. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, eat and kill. Uh, but Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So even in a dreamlike state, Peter was not having any of that. Isn't it interesting how we are faced with issues that we need to be addressed in real life in our dreams? Has that ever happened to you that you are asleep or in a sleep state? We'll just say sleep, and you're having a dream, and there's something that pops up in your dream. You're wondering, is it live or is it Memorex? And you're trying to work that thing out. I'm not saying that every time we have a dream that it is of God. But I am saying that sometimes that God, he wants to speak to us because in our sleep state, that's the only time that we can really shut our minds down. That's the only time that we can be still long enough for God to speak to us and what? And we can actually listen. Have you ever had those, those dreams in which you wanted to get out and you knew you were dreaming? And it felt like somebody got you strapped down and you try, I'm trying to get out of here. And you're like, you're trying to move. I know some people used to say, that's the devil uh, got you down there like that. Right? Uh, one time my wife... Uh, she was, she was having one of her dreams, and she's like, rrr, 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 making all this noise. I'm just looking at her, right? You know, because the slightest thing wakes me up. I'm looking at her. I'm like, what's going on with her? And she's like, rrr, rrr, doing all this stuff, rrr, 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 all this stuff. And I'm just staring at her, right? I just let her go. I let her go. Eventually, she, she, she wakes up out of it. She's like, ooh. I'm like, man, what was that about? And she's like, what do you mean, what was that about? It's like, it seemed like you were fighting or something. She's like, why didn't you wake me up? I'm like, well, hey, you probably need to work that thing out. So I don't want to interfere with your dream, right? So I just left you alone. Peter refused to eat anything that was unclean. The Lord responded, What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times. And like most of us... Uh, who have experiences like this, Scripture tells Peter, it says that he, in verse 17, that inwardly he was perplexed, right? Have you ever been there? You're trying to figure out, what does that mean? 
What did that dream really mean? And some things that happen in our dream state, they are what they are. And other things that happen in our, in our dream state, they are the complete opposite. And other things that happen in our dream state, there's completely nothing but nonsense. But we awake and we are perplexed and we ask ourselves, what was that about? What are the biases in your life hindering you from presenting the gospel? While Peter was trying to figure out what was going on, three men showed up at his door looking for him. These men were sent by Cornelius to bring Peter back to his house. Peter agreed and departed for Cornelius' home the next day. Upon arrival, uh, Cornelius at Cornelius' home, he realizes the predicament he was in. He understood when he made it to Cornelius' home that Cornelius was a Gentile. And Jews, by no means, could not enter the house of a Gentile. Well, was there anything in Scripture that says, Thou shalt not, not enter the house of a Gentile? Well, uh, well, maybe concerning idol worshipers, right? If there are people worshiping idols, you couldn't, you know, really get into that. Uh, else you get in there and you get all involved in that. But as with uh, many traditions and most rules, you end up adding things. You add this and you add that. And pretty soon that had morphed into, you better just not go into any Gentile's house and you'll be okay. And this was really problematic. Because at this time what that would do is, uh, that would cause the Jews really not to want to associate with Gentiles. They wanted to keep themselves separate from the Gentiles. So the rest of the world would look at the Jews. Uh, these people are nothing but antisocial. They got their thing. Let's just stay away from them. And you know, sometimes we as Christians, we can be the same way. That we can get in our own little cliques and say it's uh, us for and, and again, no more. Uh, we don't want people to be involved in our thing. We don't want to worship uh, their God, so we just stay away from them. But my thought is simply this. Surely your faith is stronger than that. Surely your faith is stronger than that. If you're young in the faith, that may be a different story. But Peter had a change of heart, ultimately, and we see this in Scripture and would enter into a Gentile's home uh, probably for the very first time in his life. Look at verse 28. And he said to them, this is Peter, said to them, well, you yourself know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with, look at that, how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Read that again. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Just for a quick moment, I hope I can find it quickly, I want you to turn over to Matthew, and I think it's Matthew chapter, yes, Matthew chapter 8. 
Matthew chapter 8, uh, around verse 5, uh, here's a story about another centurion. But this time, uh, it is a story between Jesus and the centurion. Right? And uh, this centurion, uh, in verse 6 of Matthew 8, uh, that he calls to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, saying that his uh, servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And then Jesus responds to him, right? And he said to him, I will come and heal him. You see that? Jesus and the centurion, and Peter and the centurion. So uh, around this point, we all know that, uh, that, that Peter was walking with Jesus. That Peter was probably right there when Jesus decided to heal the the centurion's servants. Jesus had no problem with this Gentile. But yet, when we make it from this point, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after the day of Pentecost, after all of this, Peter was having qualms about entering to the home of a Gentile. But yet he had not learned his lesson and it took another message from God in order to change his mind. And I'm sure even when he did it, it was not easy for him to go to his home. So whether we're talking about prejudice or any other type of sin, we must know that obedience to the Lord is of utmost importance. Peter had resisted God's desired program before in the past. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, I'm going to read you a couple of verses here. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and on the third day be raised. Verse 22. And Peter uh, took him, that is Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. John chapter 13, verse 3. Matter of fact, let's go to verse uh, 6. John chapter 13, verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Verse 7, Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but after you will understand. Verse 8, Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. So Peter was on a roll. Right? So even in his dream state, he had made his mind up about people. He had made his mind up even about what God was trying to tell him. God said, rise up and kill and eat Peter. Uh, Peter says, no, never. What happens to us when we resist the Holy Spirit? When we know that it is God speaking to us. When we know that God is trying to get us on track and God is trying to encourage us and say, yes, move in this direction, yes, move in this direction, and we get up on our high horse and say, no, never, Lord, never. Peter found himself here, faced with this prejudice, But what did he do? Peter realized that the message of the kingdom of God was more important than his prejudice. 
God's message is more important. What stops us? What stops us? Sometimes we're talking to people and we uh, just believe and we see people that they just don't deserve God's grace. But God calls us into accountability to submit to his will. You see, the idea of submission to God's will is not just true in marriage, what we heard the other day, amen? But it is true uh, even in our church life. It is true uh, in other relationships as well if you have a job. Uh, even our children who submit to their parents, when our children go to school, you also must submit to whom? Your, your teacher. You must submit to your teacher. And I'll tell you, as you know, uh, doing something that you don't want to do is not always easy. Part of the battle we face is trying to get our lives back in order. Uh, we try to get our, our, once we get our own minds straight with God, then we try to get our children straight. Our relationships, we try to get our relationship with our spouses correct. We try to get it all lined up in our thinking. But God is always telling us there's one more thing, no. You think that you're ready to go. There's one more thing I need to talk to you about. What is that one thing God is talking to you about today? Because Peter set his prejudices aside to allow the gospel to shine forth, guess what? He still struggled. We would think that once and for all that this would have been the nail in the proverbial coffin. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. And we know this is an epistle of Paul. This is a letter of Paul. Galatians 2. Verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, and we all know that Cephas is Peter, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when uh, they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So in other words, what Paul was saying about uh, Peter was that, you know, uh, he said all of us were gathered together, right? We were eating with the non-Jews and everything was going fine, and then our, our Jewish homeboys showed up. And then when our Jewish boys showed up, all of a sudden, uh, Peter, he began to backtrack. He began to backstep and saying, you know what, uh, uh, I'm just going to go here. And Paul says, I stood uh, to Peter face to face. 
You're a hypocrite. What is it about us that when God speaks to us, we still uh, manage to go back to that default? God is telling us we need to give it up and give in to him. Now this principle may not be as easy to uncover in our hearts because of the deception that hides so effortlessly. Maybe like Peter, we think that our prejudices are not prejudices, but something that God mandates through some kind of man-made tradition. But at the end of the day, the obedience of the centurion, Cornelius, and the obedience of Peter, that God had a purpose. The gospel must be preached when these two areas converge. When they come together, the gospel must be preached. So when God has worked in someone's heart, and then when God is working in our heart, and we have an opportunity, we must preach the gospel. We must preach the gospel. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anywhere, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Obedience plus obedience equals God's will being done. Obedience plus obedience equals God's will being done. Uh, Peter did not understand what it all meant, uh, but by walking in obedience first, he realized after the fact that God had a purpose. Right? And again, that's the idea. Uh, we do, we follow, and we trust, and we have faith, not really knowing what's going to be the end game. One of the things uh, I hated most when I was learning how to swim, and if you can swim, I really admire you. I tried all of my life to swim, and I still can't swim. Uh, and some of you know that, uh, that I even took a coaching's, to coaches class to teach others how to swim, and, and they told me in this class that, oh, you're going to learn how to swim in about a day. And as this one coach took me in 20 feet of water, right? I can't swim. I'm not really scared of the water, but I can't swim. And this coach says, uh, let's get in 20 feet of water. First thing I'm saying is like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. I don't know how to swim, but yet you want me to get in a 20-foot pool? He's like, no, it's going to be all right. Uh, you know, in some of those uh, uh, pools, they have those lanes. He said, I just want you to hold on this one and hold on this one, and it's going to be okay. I'm like, really? He's like, really? I'm like, he said, I'm going to teach you how to float. I said, let's go in the four-foot pool. He says, no, 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 no. You're a big guy, so you need to be in a 20-foot pool. I'm, I'm going to make sure you don't drown. I'm like, okay. So he said, I just need for you just to lay back and just relax. I'm like, okay, and I'm holding on to those sides like this. He said, just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull you back and just relax. So I start going back just a little bit, and my head's, I'm like, no, 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 it's not, it's not going to work. He says, no, trust me, it's going to be all right. 
I said, really? He says, yes. He said, just go on back. He says, and he starts laying me back. And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm really doing it. So now I'm kind of laying flat. I'm like, I am floating, right? And then he says this, now I'm going to let you go. He lets me go, and I begin to sink. He's like, wow, what happened? I said, I don't know. You're teaching me how to swim. He said, let's do it again. He lays me back again, and then what happens? I just start to fall. And then he says, oh, you must be a sinker. I'm like, what's a sinker? He says, you just don't float. I say, yeah, that would be me, so we need to try something else. But you see, in the very beginning, it wasn't making sense for me. It didn't make sense for him to lay me back in the water when I cannot swim. You see, when God tells us to do something, when God tells us to lay back, it is not for us to always know what the end result is going to be. God just calls us into obedience. We must do what God calls us to do. The message of Jesus is more important than our personal issues. Today, if we hear his voice, let us move to the point of obedience. Peter had to move out of his small way of thinking in order to help the gospel move forward. Just think about it. That centurion would eventually head home. And when he would go back to Italy, he would take the gospel of Jesus with him. Why? All because of individuals who are willing to listen to God and to move from their prejudices into God's kingdom agenda. Are you willing today to move from your prejudice? You may be saying that I'm not prejudiced about anything. I'm not necessarily talking about race. You may have a reason locked up inside of you why you don't want to share the message of the gospel.